0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. My guest this week is a young man who I met at the very beginning of my career in politics. Varant Yapujian is an extremely active member of the Armenian community, involved mostly in its various advocacy efforts, but who also has a keen interest in political engagement at all levels of government. On this episode, we'll discuss the destructive and unfortunate events that have unfolded in Lebanon in the last weeks, as well as his community and political engagement. I hope you enjoy this conversation.
1: So how are you doing? Aside from that? Good. I can't complain. Uh, Health is good. Exercising a lot. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. That's it. Still member right now I'm uh, it's been a year uh, member of the Armenian National Committee of Canada which is the national board you know uh the ANC has chapters when we met I I was member of the Armenian National Committee of uh, Montreal actually I was the president so yeah. it's been a year uh since 2008 I've been active in the Armenian National Committee of Montreal but it's been a year I joined the the national board so as you know, we're a grassroots, you know, human rights uh, organization. We foster public awareness about the issues affecting the Armenian community in Canada and abroad. And we're kind of an advocacy group, of, you know, of matters uh, of the interest to the uh, Armenian Canadian community. We're kind of a link between the community and the uh, political bodies in the provincial municipal as well as federal level
0: that's right yeah yeah so, we, we met a long time ago man like we met almost at the beginning when i started working in politics uh, in 2007 um i can't remember which event it was at but uh,
1: uh it was a fundraising i think that's when we met uh, jerry and you were as uh, responsable bureau and we came to one of your fundraisings we met uh, and since you know uh, We've been always in contact
0: it's its it's crazy to see how you know working in that kind of environment broadened up um, at least my horizons on what of course I knew the the, the armenian community you know you you, you grew up in a, in a in a city like Montreal that is so diverse you know that there's other communities you know but you don't really know the level of their involvement right um and uh, I, I remember when I met with you um And you explained just a little bit what you did. Obviously, like I said, we knew the the, the community at large. uh, But we did realize that, man, you guys have um, a strong and united community, especially with respect to the issues uh, around uh, everything that that happened and is still happening in Armenia.
1: Correct. I mean, the Armenian National Committee, it's been 50 years already in in action around the world. You know, when the genocide happens, Armenians have been dispersed everywhere. Initially, you know, Greece, France, Egypt, that's where people went. Some of them came directly uh, to to the United States. And a big chunk went through the Syrian desert to Lebanon. And then at the beginning, you know, 105 years ago, people were just surviving. And then throughout the years, they realized, okay, let's talk about the past. Let's talk what happened. that's when the whole movement started, uh, at one point became the focus of the Armenian National Committee around the world to get recognition, starting with one country, then the other, you know, uh, in the same way, one city, one province, et cetera. So that was the movement, just to, first of all, raise awareness so that, you know, this uh, tragedy tragedy just doesn't become part of history. It, it stays in uh in an active discussion in the political circles. And then eventually, uh, you know, you got countries, one after the other, uh, recognizing the genocide that Canada did in uh, actually the the House of Commons recognized the Armenian genocide in 2004. Then uh, during the Harper years in 2006, that uh, that became a kind of part of the government uh, policy. So, and since, you know, uh, obviously, as uh, Armenians as well we have other you know um, other things that we would like to see uh could it would it be a trade between Canada and uh, Armenia um, uh, strengthening uh, the ties in certain areas the also you know the, there's the Nagorno-Karabakh issue which is a contested region between Armenia and Azerbaijan um Recently, we saw some skirmishes on the on the border, as you, you remember. They, you know, things are going as well around the world. So we're just kind of a watchdog, make sure that whatever happens in Armenia and also whatever happens to the Armenian community in Canada, yeah. we're just trying to follow and make sure that uh, you know we react and also do some uh, some other works of training and human rights. And we're not only focused on Armenians. You know, we we work a lot with the other. Um, other people who survived genocides, like the Rwandans, the, the Jewish community, et cetera. So this is what the Armenian National Committee does. Um, and right now, the only focus uh, in the last uh, yeah. f- month was to make sure that what started between Armenia and Azerbaijan uh, in uh, actually uh, a, a few months ago doesn't escalate and become a regional war because if you look at it, in In a way, I don't want to get into analysis, but something is happening in Azerbaijan. Uh, you know, oil prices are dropping. There's less money coming in. It's a heavily oil dependent country. So just to get the people of Azerbaijan during a pandemic when the recession's coming, economic crisis to deviate from that, they started this war. That's how we see it. And then, on the other hand, you have Turkey, which is also, you know, playing an important role as we speak, and you know, a lot of things are happening for Turkey. And you know, they're they're looking into some of the Greek islands, uh, close course, uh, trying to do exploration. Um, you know, we're just just watching from abroad and saying we have to be careful what's happening. You know, also I don't know if we can talk a bit about uh, the region there. Uh, you know, Turkey was uh, eventually going to be part of the. Uh, EU. that's what that was the plan 10 15 years ago
0: yeah there's been uh, there's been ongoing discussions for years obviously they have certain uh, bilateral agreements um, you know I, I I honestly think that the 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 you know in the context of what's been happening the, the last years I think that chapter is pretty much closed <laughs> you know uh, the, the region is very fragile right now um, you know Turkey in my opinion has opened up fronts all over the place to the point where you know even uh high level analysts are wondering what exactly is the so. is going on there right i mean they they came into syria so they've opened up that front with russia there's uh, there's conflict in the eastern mediterranean so that has you know historically um Put them in conflict with Greece and Cyprus. Uh, Greece has signed uh, an agreement recently uh, to determine the economic zones with uh, Egypt and Italy. So that kind of frustrated Turkey as well. Yes. Um, there, there, there are. Um, there, there are agreements between Israel, Cyprus, and Greece for pipelines, so obviously that goes through the territory as well, and Turkey thinks they have the rights to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, obviously the fronts against Armenia, w- while partnering up with uh, Azerbaijan, I've been following that as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's just so many things happening, and you know, there, there the was, they came very close to uh to getting into uh, an armed conflict there during the pandemic where you had all these migrants uh traveling through turkey going into greece and they were disguised as refugees but in reality these guys were armed uh civilians right whether they were syrian or turkish or whatever they were it's very doubtful to think that i you know it wasn't um uh it it wasn't a pre-organized uh, attempt right to flood europe with god knows what right so obviously greece had to play a, a key role in that and thankfully they had the support of their european partners which obviously it would be it would be crazy if they hadn't but that just goes to show you the relationship that turkey has historically handled with the european union i mean they had this agreement where uh, they were getting billions of euros to take care of refugees, refugees to set up exactly. camps etc uh, and suddenly, because of the conflict in Syria and because of a disagreement with Russia, they said, you know what, screw it, fuck it, open the borders, get these guys out of my territory, which is the most irresponsible thing to do, right? You, you know, you look at it,
1: and the last blow came when they decided to turn back Hagia Sophia as a mosque. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at even deeper, 10, 15 years ago, when you used to watch Turkish television, Used to see all these entertainment. Used to see a lot of, you know, these they the have famous subject. soap operas. Exactly, they, they do very but popular soap operas. They, yeah. That is correct. Even in some of the countries uh, we know, uh, people keep watching. But the rhetoric kind of changed more and more and became nationalism. Even on TV, you know that you have those uh, fighters. That so it's it's reflecting everywhere that they realize they're not going into Europe, so they want to create themselves as the heads. And don't forget Turkey wants to become a regional power also in the muslim countries so yeah. you know historically the power in muslim countries a long time ago was in egypt back then and eventually when oil with oil power saudi arabia took over a lot of that, that decision making powers and had its influence in the arab countries then we had to Problem between uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, if you remember, a few years ago when Qatar decided to, hey, I have money too, and I can buy influence and have. So now Turkey is another player, and there's other things happening among amongst there. So it's interesting to see how this is going to all turn out. And then
0: you know, Lebanon. uh, uh, Yeah, this is a region that has consistently been in um, in 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 hot water, right? I mean, there's so many factors. There's so many there's so many things at stake. Uh, The biggest thing, I think, this week. Was the United Arab Emirates that signed the peace agreement with uh, with yeah, Israel, sure, and that yeah. threw Turkey through the roof? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's a big it's a big thing, right? I mean, it, it's it, it's about it goes way beyond just peace in the region. It goes uh, into uh, regional cooperation and uh, you know between two nations that historically have been at each other's throats, right?
1: True, true, and. I don't know if we can talk a bit about Lebanon, George, because, you know, I'm, I'm Lebanese Armenian, yes, so I grew yes. up there. So, And with everything happening in Lebanon, which is the topic of the week or the, the last two weeks, yeah, it's interesting to see how
0: that's going to reflect the whole situation in Lebanon. Uh, so what's happening can, over there? The, the, I mean, well, that government has been in kind of a crisis management for months now, right? Correct. Uh, and in addition to all of that, you had this huge thing that happened uh caused so many casualties and um the government just resigned in a block right they all just stepped down they did they did so
1: just uh if we can maybe uh speak about what happened the most circulated version was that there were 2750 tons of ammonium nitrate
0: which detonated now was that Um, was that in the boat the boat was docked uh in the port or they had put in a warehouse or something no so.
1: This was stored in a famous uh, hangar called Hangar Number 12. So how did these explosive products ended up in Beirut? It's still not 100% clear. Yet, if you look only if we can speak about the facts, you know, they were on a Russian-owned cargo ship with the Moldovian flag uh, carrying these products from Georgia to Mozambique seven years ago. Okay? So, according to the lawyers representing the boat's crew, the ship was docked in Beirut after facing some uh, technical uh, problems uh, at sea in uh, September two thousand and thirteen. So, it never got repaired. Uh, the ship's uh, cargo was then um, offloaded into uh, into the port of Beirut in uh, hangar number twelve, which which is where the the whole thing fire started. So, and this is in the heart of Beirut, yeah of, at the heart of Lebanon, because the port is right facing the capital mm-hmm. and it 's uh, one of the highly dense um, po- densely populated uh, areas is, yeah. in, in Lebanon, so there was some internal communication between port authorities and uh, the gestler system you know saying that th- these are highly explosive uh, products, and it cannot stay there, but you know it fell in the cracks, so um, i mean i don 't know the the details but one thing is for sure we can say that the corrupt system and the corrupt whole government structure bureaucratic structure of lebanon is responsible uh for what happened and um
0: it's just flat out neglect you know i mean it's just uh sure. And,
1: yeah. you know, and as you said, this was a transition government, you know, Lebanon has been going in the last uh, year through an extreme financial and currency problems. Um, you know, the Lebanese pound was always packed at, with the U.S. dollars. So one U.S. dollar was always 1,500 Lebanese pounds. and the government was able to maintain that for the last you know 25 years without a problem because they were artificially pumping and selling some of their money and then th- there was the whole issue that banks instead of participating in the whole economy they were advertising them. you know there's a, lo- a lot of lebanese expats that live in uh, the region you know dubai abu dhabi Qatar Saudi Arabia and all those people put their money in uh, in Lebanon and you know they get uh, five to six percent on the US dollars and as high as like 10 percent on the Lebanese currency and what do the banks do in their turn instead of you know investing that money or lending the money to the economy so you know companies could grow buy equipment etc line of credits they buy government issued bonds Mm. and the government year after year issues bonds the banks the local banks buy those bonds at like, say, seven, they give the depositors five. And it, it's, it's kind of, a, I don't want to say a Ponzi scheme, but it looks kind of because the government is never able to pay back the debt because there's, right. no, there's not, not enough economic yeah. uh, power. And don't forget, Lebanon is, uh, I would say, maybe one of, uh, if you look at 200 most corrupt countries, Lebanon is in the, in the 130s. Uh-huh. And it's a very confessional country. Uh, which means that corruption is spread and people work for the government. And the power starting from the presidency up to even small jobs is divided. So example, if we hire 10 Muslims in the port authorities, we have to hire 10 Christians. You know, if we hire one guy here, we have to, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you you want to take a bit of the time to speak about uh, how Lebanon is in in terms of uh history it's it's, it's a pretty unique country mm-hmm. um, you know it was uh when when the Ottoman Empire collapsed Lebanon back then was the greater Syria it was part of greater Syria was uh under the French mandate you know the French and English took over some mandates so the Lebanon was part of the French mandate it was the was kind of the state of Lebanon in greater Syria. This yeah. is in the 1920. And 1926, Lebanon split from Syria and became, the name became um, Lebanese Republic, still under the French mandate. And in 1946, Lebanon declared its independence. So back then, there w- it was more, more, of, more Christians living in the country. So they decided uh, to get the, 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 the parliament in a certain way, like for every six Christians, you get five uh, uh, five Muslims. But then there was this Taif Accord in the 90s. And then since there's 128 seats in the government, which is an odd, even number. Normally yeah. governments are sometimes odd, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's an even number. And it's half Christian, half Muslim. So basically, in terms of rankings, the most, most seats are, owned by, uh, are held by the Christian Catholic Maronites, which probably you know. Then you have the Sunnis and the Shiis the second. you have the Greek Orthodox, you have the Greek Catholics, Druze, Armenians, Alawites, Protestants. So every seat is predetermined. So at the end of the day, you're going to end up in the parliament always 34 Sunnis, uh, sorry, 34 Maronites. 27 uh, Shias, 27 Muslims, 14 Greek Orthodox. Is that, is that still reflective?
0: Is that still reflective with the no, population?
1: It's no, it's not. It's not. It's been maybe over 50 years. I don't know the number that there hasn't been any uh, any uh, census to to determine what's but.
0: That is, it is very, believed. That, that is a very questionable democracy. It is. <laughs> it is. I
1: mean, it, it, is, it, it, it is believed that probably, I don't know, uh, more than uh, 65% probably are Muslim right now. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, the president of the country, the president of the republic is always a, a Christian Maronite. The prime minister is always a Sunni Muslim. The speaker of the house is always a, a shiit. And, and uh, uh, the executive body it's kind of uh, equally held by the president and the prime minister. You know, it's not a presidential system. It used to be more, but they took over some, the, the, the president after the Attaif, you know, relinquished some of its powers. And so now it's, uh, the, the, the government is headed by the prime minister and the president kind of together. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It, it is yeah. weird. Yeah. And uh, the speaker of the house, which they call their, the president of the parliament, also has more role than just the Speaker of the House, which, yeah. you know, in countries like Canada, people don't They're know. Very neutral, very objective. Ex- yeah. Exactly, so it is uh, It is like that. And then, um, you know, there was the Civil War in 1975. So um, 1975 to 1990, there was the Civil War and the current political parties represented in in Parliament and their leaders, with a few exceptions, have all had an active role during the civil war.
0: Yeah. So look at a country. Everyone is biased, basically. Exactly. Uh, You know know what's strange to me? That even after all that conflict and, uh, you know, know, the the fact that they still haven't been able to kind of reorganize and restructure so that it could be much more representative with the population today, uh, it's strange to me a little bit. What's happening right now? Like, what is, what, what is being suggested? Is it like the, the crisis right there? Is it just a matter of putting in a new government that's going to be responsible enough to take things uh, into control? Or are they talking about a structural change, uh, like a constitutional change?
1: Well, there's a, there's, are we talking about what is the Lebanese people's will?
0: Yeah, like right now like the, uh, the what qu- do people want on, yeah because I mean, the, the Lebanese have been in the streets for 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 months now
1: it that is correct listen i can't tell you that the young generation the younger generation sees lebanon as a more um like how do you say like in french uh, in english um uh, uh, yeah uh, longer, uh, more um, i forgot I, the word Anyway, like a non... Um, secular. non secular. There you go. A secular country. Lebanese people see Lebanon or aspire to have Lebanon, which is more secular than it is. But the reality of the fact is the existing people in power and the people living in Lebanon have been used to it. So it's going to take generations of people yeah. to decide that we want to get rid of... Uh, it's funny. Let me give you an example. Everything from marriage to divorces to inheritance is managed by the church and the mosques. Wow. So, if you're an Armenian and your father dies, you
0: gotta, versus
1: okay. your exactly, and versus you're a Sunni or a Shi'ite or a, a Christian, it's not the same. So, the Armenian church has decided. Example: If somebody passes away, the wife gets 25 percent. The kids divide the remaining 75 percent. Yeah. That's the, but, but it's not the same. So even in divorces, you know, in some some religions, if you don't have a son, then the deceased brother gets equal rights. So, you know, sometimes people change their religion for wow. So everything is managed. Imagine it's, it's, it's not like you cannot just go to the court and divorce. You have to go to the court, which is held by the, the, the church. That is crazy, it's, it's,
0: especially, especially considering how easy things are over here where you pick up the phone, literally you call a government service and it, things are done within mm-hmm, minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can't, I can't even imagine what things must be like to get your, your, your stuff in order.
1: Yes, and, uh, and this whole thing that I told you about Christians and Muslims getting 50% of the government, it also trickles down to all the public servants mm-hmm. so example if we we are the port authority or we are the ministry of health you know it has to be certain seats equal muslims equal christians on the board so it's not about merit it, it and it has to be example you know you get uh, it, it's funny it, it's inconceivable for somebody looking from outside to say so basically, you, you, are you telling me that uh, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, the, 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 the teachers, etc., it's per sect? Yes, a lot of the things, I'm talking higher level, are per sect. So it means that, for example, uh, we, we have four governors of the central bank. The first one has always to be a Maronite, then you have a second one, and the fourth governor is always an Armenian. So it's, it's predetermined because that's how they share power. Yeah. It, it it is it is like it, it is it is a it is a country like that. And imagine when you have a country like this, everybody's used to uh, what they call wasta, bribing or favoritism, and the whole country works like that. And we got used to that. Like I, uh, when I went to do my driver's license, basically I just sat in the car, went, uh, drove like ten 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 meters. They gave me the paper. That's it. A lot of people don't even do that. They just get the, when they're eighteen, their father just brings them happy birthday.
0: They get the driver's that license. That is incredible. Yeah. I think. it's 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 at that level um, so you still have family there you still have friends has anyone been affected by what's going on right now especially with that blast
1: yes uh yeah we we i, I still have family uh there we have our house my grandmother's house my grandmother's house was uh, kind of uh all the, the glasses and the doors were shattered but luckily nobody lives there i have two aunts that uh have been uh uh, damaged, and they had to do some repairs. So my uncle's taking care of them. Um, so that's it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of friends I'm still in contact. Uh, many many people would like to leave Lebanon. Um, I think there's a will to change Lebanon, but given the situation of the country, how it's based, the confessionalism, it will there will never be a way out that's what i think and even if uh, president macron went there uh you remember the it was he went there just to show solidarity with the people i'm not sure how the political class is welcoming that more because you know everybody 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 wants a piece of piece of the cake and that yeah. that's how it, it it it's always been so it's going to
0: happen now there's forced elections
1: They, uh, they're, 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 the, the government resigned. So, uh, to be honest with you, they're going to do, uh, elections. Uh, I don't know the date. I'm not sure if anything's going to change, um, in the structure. Mind you, there's still going to be 50% of the parliament Muslim, 50% Christian. So that cannot change unless they change the constitution. Right. So regardless of how you flip it, you're still going to end up. Right with the same people uh you know money flows uh, like getting money to vote is a very common thing in Lebanon so they give so you go you vote you go you get your hundred bucks paid, yeah very very common you know uh people opening their uh uh, their bags, giving hundred dollars for it's
0: very. But, uh, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really change anything because there's a, there's a predetermined number of seats. It's not like you're paying people to go vote so that you can have a majority in parliament because they have uh, already a pre pre established number of seats that they can. They can exactly,
1: get. and most political parties are uh, religious parties.
0: Right.
1: You know, what I mean, it's not like you have the liberal party or the conservative party. You have a party that all the members are ninety percent of the members are, example. Shia, and you have a party that most members are uh, Christian. So it's it is it It is is it's a weird
0: reality because we've we've grown into into a system that is completely different, right? And I I see Mm -hmm. these things even with my family in Greece, where because I lived in Greece and it was it was it was painful to 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 get any government service, right? I mean, things have changed since I left. I mean, uh, dramatically uh, for the better, of course. Uh, and you try to explain people how things work here in Canada, and they just don't understand. They, 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 they don't know that something like this is possible. You know, a funny example, I have a friend living in Greece, and you know, him and his family used to live in Montreal for a long time before they moved back, and his father reached the retirement age. And mm-hmm. he's telling his son, now. he's like, oh, man, you know, we, we have to leave now, we have to book flights, we have to go back to Canada, uh, I have to go back to Montreal, I got to fix my... Uh, Uh, my pension, I got to, you know, make all these arrangements. uh, And his son is like, what are you talking about, man? (laughs) So he picks up the phone. (laughs) And he calls. And literally, in a matter of a couple of days, it was all done. It was it was it was done. You know, it's like people don't understand that you know, if you have an efficient system, you know, it's going to trickle down to make your life easier as well. Uh, and, and I just found that funny. You know, I was like, what are you talking about? Imagine the like, guy thought he had to book a ticket, fly to Montreal, come here, stay for I don't know how long he thought he was going to have to stay here to take care of his pension, man. You understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, you know, we. I think we've come a very long way over here in establishing at least on that front. I think Canada stands among the best in the world uh, in terms of government services. Uh, I, I don't. I, I don't think I've seen anything that compares to this. Probably no. the U.S. too. I mean, the the U.S. is uh, is probably up there. Yeah. Uh, you have the, uh, yeah but yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying because I, I experienced that in Greece. Obviously, not to that extent. Like it is that probably is in Lebanon, but uh, different lifestyle, man. Different, <laughs> different lifestyle. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, about the organization over here. Uh, now, is this linked with the Armenian community, or it's a completely different body? Because you guys have your community, you have a school over here, you have a high school that's been going on for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, the adv the advocacy group is that linked to that? Is it part of it, or is it completely different?
1: No, I mean, in a way, we represent the organizations that are active in the community center. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, have the scouts, you have the school, the church, etc. So these are we. We are not a we're not a kind of a structure that does
0: anything, but we represent all these organizations yeah, kind of in like a way. Umbra- you're, you're kind of like an umbrella organization. Exactly,
1: yeah. like an umbrella, or we're kind of the le porte parole. You know, we, yeah, we yeah. speak on behalf of them if there's anything, or, and also the will of uh, of the community. Uh, I mean, I would say part of the community. You know, there are other. Uh, other parts that we don't represent, uh, but you know this chunk of uh, Surpagop, you know uh, Laval as well as Montreal, we you know we represent. Uh, we're kind of the link between the the the, 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 the community and political how, politicians how
0: um, how easy was it or difficult was it to create that to open up those doors uh, into government i mean how do they how do they perceive you i saw I, i've been following what's going on in armenia and i and i saw the exchanges that you've had with uh, uh with the minister of foreign affairs and other mm-hmm. government officials and they were really quick to uh to make statements on those issues uh compared to for example what what happened in you know, what's happening in Greece right now. And, you know, with respect to what you said about Hagia Sophia, not much has been done from a government perspective. So I, I imagine that, you know, the, the lobby effort there has been very efficient.
1: I mean, we've uh, we worked with them. We have our executive director as well. He's a, he's a kind of registered lo- lobbyist, if I would say. But we, we are just uh, grassroots people. We, we do this because we believe in the cause. And then, uh, you know, we... Uh, we help people. We uh, during elections were there helping. We support. We have a list of people we support during elections. We uh, we ask the uh, we asked the Armenian community to vote for those uh, candidates that are uh, that we believe are friends of uh, the Armenian community. Mm-hmm. And based on that, you know, we just create links year after year, and then uh, when we need them in such an important matter, which I might say it's also a fact that that's what was happening. It's not like we're asking something that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Azerbaijan started a war with Armenia. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted them to say is that uh, they're condemning the aggression. So they were, you know, they reacted and they, they, they wished that peace uh, would be established as fast as possible so that uh, the region, it doesn't become, any, uh, you know, any regional problem or even just war between two countries in the middle of a pandemic that the world is seeing now
0: why do you think it's important for you to, to 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 be involved at this level i mean how did how did this all start for you
1: how did it start for me well i was active i was uh, the president of the armenian youth federation of montreal and when with this, with the age i kind of graduated and was no you longer <laughs> <forced to laughs> <get me out. laughs> exactly i knew about the armenian national committee which was there so i joined the armenian national committee in montreal And then, uh, you know, I'm just a member. I wasn't involved in any of the parties. And then uh, during the uh, by elections of um, Jean Marc Fournier, um, probably 2010, I I got introduced to him. So, you know, uh, and then since I became part of the executive committee, liberal PLQ of Saint Laurent, um, you know, I've been his uh, campaign manager as well in 2014. And then, you know, uh, i saw in the liberal party of quebec some of the values that uh that i believe in mm-hmm. and then um, i took that route you know a lot of there are armenians who believe in uh, you know other parties yeah, uh, sure. so I'm, I'm a member of the armenian national committee of uh, of canada and i was of montreal but i was a member as well because that's the party
0: um i, I want to talk to you a little bit about the community because obviously i have a lot of friends in the armenian community and it feels uh, you know similar to the greek community but i would say even more so uh with respect to the armenian community they're much more attached to um to the community uh to their um uh, to their belonging uh for example you know to 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 their heritage and all that i, I feel like there's a much stronger bond with armenia with your language uh, I, um and this is not this is not to to downplay anything else from any other community but i i just feel that there's a much stronger bond um within the the armenian community uh from a young age i mean i I don't know how old you were when you came here but uh is that something that um in general in the community it's something that is passed down like the involvement to the community and to to the active participation socially
1: listen i i wouldn't say uh we're much different than the others. We are newer than the others. If you look at the Greek community, uh, a lot of the Armenians came later than the Greeks, or, or the big wave came after that. So it's it, it still time hasn't passed that much. Uh, we keep the language alive. We have the schools, like you guys have the schools, Demosthenos uh, or Socrates. Uh, we have our schools here, which we're very fortunate to have. And a lot of the parents believe in in the quality of the education and the importance of keeping our language alive. And um, I think um, I won't say that we are more conservative or we give more importance to the values. But what I could say is if I look at the uh, Armenians living in the U.S., the East Coast, which which have been there even a, a few generations back, we kept more our culture but I'm not sure if with time that's gonna stay alive. I, I wish, but I'm yeah. being realistic. I realize, you know, my kids, my grandkids, you know, Probably as time won't. passes, I'm not sure how, how much they're gonna keep of uh, our culture or our language or-
0: Yeah, well, of there's, a, there's an undeniable truth uh, that lies in, in this society, right? Where you have to kind of go through assimilation. Uh, I mean, I look at myself, for example, I didn't marry a Greek, uh, a Greek, uh, Greek girl. Uh, my kids, obviously, I speak to them in Greek, but they're never going to speak the same, you know, level of Greek that I speak. The same Correct. way that I can't speak the same level of Greek that my parents speak, right? So there's a there, there, there's this thing happening. So at some point, it's uh, a matter of just, like you said, maintaining uh, uh, the heritage alive through whatever institutions that uh, that you put in place, right? Exactly. Uh, and I think that you've done a a, a tremendous job at the, uh, within the the Armenian community, you know, the question that I always had and not only with with the Armenian community, but even with the, with the Greek community is to what extent have we kind of secluded ourselves from Quebec society because of the fact that we're we're, you know, we're raised so much into our little bubble. Right. Uh, you know, you're going to go to the Greek school and then, you know, there's the churches and there's the activities and then everything that you do, you're pretty much surrounded uh, by people that are like you right that believe uh, the same things that you believe in that have the same uh, Traditions the same culture uh, and, and that to me was always a question. I realized that when I went into high school because you guys have a high school You've had a high school for a long time. The Greek okay. community only got you know, their high school permits like maybe a couple of years ago so after grade six, I mean we all went to you know <laughs> regular French high schools Uh and that's where we were exposed to other to other kids you know of different mm-hmm. cultures and you know different languages and different backgrounds and it was a little bit of a shock you know like culturally for i, I at least for me mm-hmm. i don't know about mm-hmm. the other people but and uh i always wondered you know what if we had that high school as well and we went on f- living our lives well into our uh you know teens you know our young adult years living in that bubble i mean and that's where I always think about you guys where, and that's why I say like you are much more like there's a, you're much more attached together because you have all this um, time uh, and there's this longevity in, uh, in, in your journey. Right. Uh, So, I mean, for me, like I said, it was a little bit of a culture shock to, to, to go into this environment, but at the same time, Mm. I, I enjoyed it because it kind of opened up, these doors right that didn't exist before right like it was like this exit from this bubble that we were living in and <laughs> kind of finally understood what's out there um and i'm just wondering in your case since you guys go well into to high school how is it afterwards when you go into to cjp or university i mean
1: yeah i mean uh I can't say for myself because i didn't do it here uh but my wife did and then uh, i don't know i can't tell you how it is uh to to leave that bubble and go directly i mean i'm i believe more as time passes more the bubble is going to be smaller and smaller because our kids are going
0: to get more exposed but uh, you're well, it talking depends, into, it, it depends though it depends because again the structure that you have put in place won't change right the the, the no, but your me, wife but went through like from elementary all the way until the end of high school is still going to remain right the only difference is that uh but it's not you know, only the school george yeah
1: it's the look at it this way look at it this way your father have only greek friends yeah you don't have only greek exactly friends. so exactly. so as as we're growing yes we are going through the same school i believe i see it that way but right now i have i don't have only armenian friends so i have French Canadian friends, you yeah, know yeah. other other. Yeah. So my kid is going to be exposed from an earlier age to those people and their kids. So he will be maybe um, not living in the bubble because we've lived in a bubble. Yes, and I I lived in I grew up in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yes, it was. But I don't think I don't think at this point that uh, uh, my son's living in a bubble because he's being exposed to the. F- uh, and you know what you, you said the f- Quebecois. You didn't say Canadian. I realized you said the the bubble, and then outside the bubble was Quebec, not Canada. Yeah,
0: because we're in Quebec society, right? Okay, I mean, I know, yeah.
1: but I was just thinking if you were referring to uh, Quebec as in French or Quebec as the whole society, because, you know, we we got this recent thing that uh, Montreal is becoming very Anglophone. And,
0: is, it, is, uh, that, is that a fact, though? You know I'm, not what? Too, I'm not so sure of that. I think, I think the French language is still very much alive. Yes. Uh, It is. In Montreal, especially in the workplace. And that I think has been demonstrated. Um,
1: Okay, but you know what? what I'm going to
0: tell you something that
1: it's really, when I I speak to Quebecois people, this is how I present them about the whole cultural issue. I tell them I know successful, educated, perfectly French speaking people that are not Quebecois, that do not know what is bye-bye, who is Marie-Pierre Morin. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we live in a... So I'm always debating whether the language is more important for the... Are we focusing on the language itself or are we focusing about the culture? Yeah. You know? Uh, and that's the that that's the main thing. Yes, I, I, I'm not. I think uh, you know. I think there are a lot of jobs, and I mean, I've been hired to do jobs where uh, English was more important. I can I can't tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I've had jobs where English in Quebec where English was more important than
0: French. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, obviously it depends well, on the job. And if you exactly. have to deal with, you know, for example, relations with the rest of Canada or the U.S. or if you're exactly. doing business outside of Canada, exactly. Obviously, obviously, French is almost non-existent at that point, right? I mean, yeah. nobody, nobody speaks French outside of exactly. Quebec, France, and some other countries. Um, but I, you know, just to get back to what you're saying about the culture and the language, I think it's both. And, you know, a lot of people when, you know, when we were growing up, you know, it was like the bill 101, and everyone, it was Correct. so polarized, right? It, but the more I grew up, I realized how lucky we are to actually have that because I mean, look at you, look at your kids. They're going to get the chance to speak a language that they wouldn't have Uh, had the opportunity to to learn anywhere else in this world. I mean, look at the percentage of French speaking people in North America. It's so small. And the majority of that is Quebec. Right. So I can understand the need to protect that. I think we should be protecting it. Um, uh, You know, I I just don't understand the craziness every time there's something that comes out in the media about, uh, you know, English language being more prominent or the French, you know, at the end of the day, to me it doesn't really matter because you're living in a in a context where whether you like it or not if you don't speak french uh, whether it's a good thing or not you know if you don't speak french i think you're disadvantaged here oh, and i have absolutely. a lot of friends and i have a lot of friends that are still you know they still they fall under that clause there where they can send their kids to english mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. and i ask them all the time i go why are you sending your kid to english you know why they're gonna learn english no matter what no matter why they're gonna learn english mm-hmm. so why not send your kids they're gonna be di- it's a fact if you're gonna stay in quebec you're disadvantaged if you don't speak french absolutely
1: listen george uh, i'm always surprised that this debate exists because english is my fourth language so and we're having this conversation in english so I, I i was born in lebanon to an armenian family so basically the first language i was taught was armenian then i went to kindergarten and then uh, high school. Uh,
0: elementary school, yeah.
1: Elementary school, et cetera. And I was all, only introduced to English as a language and, and that system at grade six. So till then, everything math, physics, and chemistry, it's all in French. Armenian is the language of, it's our mother tongue, so we keep it alive. And Arabic was the language of the country, so you have to learn Arabic. So And then you get introduced to English. And it's so easy to speak two languages. It's extremely easy to speak two languages even three languages if this is introduced at an early stage yeah so for me it's i'm always surprised that western canada doesn't do the effort to teach their kids french mm-hmm. and um I, I look at it that way i mean why wouldn't
0: people in ontario
1: want their kids to speak french
0: it's yeah. a beautiful language well they've had they've had issues right uh, with yeah. the recent government where they they've uh, they cut they the funding funding yeah they stopped yeah. the french education um, look, I don't know, man. I mean, and, and look, maybe, maybe we're biased also because we've, we're born or we've been living here for such a long time that for us, this is normal, right? Um, it's normal to grow up in an environment where you learn more than one language, especially mm-hmm. if your parents are immigrants, et cetera. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, obviously there's an advantage to speaking more languages, but if you look at the reality, maybe of someone that, you know, that is born in Alberta or, you know, Manitoba. You know if we were there now we'd be thinking complete opposite we're like yeah who cares about french we don't need it
1: No, oh, i agree but you know the more the merrier right i mean uh it's a language it's a it's a skill uh you know africa is probably going to be the next uh asia I and mean, a lot of african countries um french is an important language if you look at it that way uh the francophonia is becoming uh i mean uh Basically, the, the the importance of Francophonie—it's not going to be France anymore. It's going to be Africa, mm-hmm. and you know, um, it, I mean, whichever way you look at it, it's a language. It's a beautiful language. Your wife—your your wife was born here? No, in Greece. Oh, she. So born. she speaks. Yeah, she speaks Greek.
0: Oh, I didn't know. So
1: that. she. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she speaks Greek. I, I speak Arabic. She speaks
0: Greek. So what do you speak to your kids? Armenian. You, you Armenian. both speak Armenian. Okay. We both speak Armenian. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, interesting. I, I I know about that. I know that about about your wife. Yeah, uh, she's
1: born in uh, she's born in Greece and came here at the age of nine or ten, I think. So she went to a class d'accueil and that's that's where she learned French. So before coming, she only spoke uh, Armenian and Greek. Yeah. Then she learned French and then English.
0: Wow, tell me a little bit about. Um, uh you know the the involvement that you guys have with uh, with canada obviously you're following everything that's been going on uh what is your what is your thought on all this chaos man uh with uh with the liberal government
1: with the liberal government listen
0: <laughs> he had to take off his glasses let me let me no no
1: i, <laughs> I, I want to be fair that's why i took off my glasses and i'm thinking i think canada is well positioned to weather the storm that we're going through if i do an analogy if you look at our uh if, if we're talking about the canadian government we look at our credit rating if we look at government debt over gdp and we compare ourselves to other g7 countries or the or industrialized world If I want to make it a comparison, it's like we are this company and there's another company. We are both having the same growth, the same sales, and we're growing. And our competitors could always do better because they hire better salesmen, they cut costs, whatever, and then this pandemic happens. So if we're a company and we have our competitors, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to run short of cash. So, what would a company do? First thing, call the bank, tell them I need money because I'm going to be missing liquidity. Then you're going to burn your existing cash if you have any reserves. And we're better positioned than a lot of countries because we're not indebted. People would like to buy Canadian bonds. And the last thing if you're a business owner and things get really worse you're going to turn and say I have my personal house that I want to remortgage. So our competitors are not as fortunate. They have less cash, their credit rating is worse, their house is not as uh mortgage free as ours. So we are very well positioned to inject and pump money in the economy. Mm-hmm. And eventually when the whole thing is over, be stronger than our competitors. And that's how I'm looking. I'm saying, listen, the other guy's not going to survive. Example, we make uh, valves and there's a company in Czech Republic that makes valves and we're competitors. I'm just, you know, going down. So if Canadian Canadian government is going to inject money, money to make that company survive while the Czech Republic government is not as well positioned to borrow, uh, you know, give the government subsidy 75%, uh, you know, maybe those people are going to, in, because they're getting money, right? The government's giving you seventy-five percent. So maybe you're going to do R and D. Anyway, we have you know this R and D subsidy. But what I'm just trying to say is, we're better off. Many countries. So if the money is pumped, distributed to strategically to companies that are in the big industries of export, whatever. I think we're going. I think what the liberal government is doing is right. We have the luxury of borrowing and going more into debt. Anyway, when Trudeau was elected, he said we're going to do the infrastructure because the rates are low, whatever. And now we can focus to this. The only thing I don't like is to, we keep on giving the, those, you know, two thousand uh, dollars. I, I, I like I like to see more that the companies get the, get the money, and they make the people work. So I'm better off seeing. Um, I'm better off. Seeing that the money coming from the government go through companies and companies use it than people sitting at home and getting money because
0: well yeah because look you know we have I'm sure you you know you have friends that have companies that have trouble hiring people now because they're just comfortable staying home and getting the money now correct with with respect to the government I, I I don't have any any objection on how they've handled the situation I think it was necessary to uh to to pump in all this money in order to keep you know the industries alive. There's no doubt in my mind. the The fear I have is up until 2020, like before this pandemic hit. You know, you're driving deficits, man, and it's it's incredible because you know you have kids. I have kids. You're thinking, who the hell is gonna pay these things off? You understand? I mean, we're nearing what now? Three hundred billion in deficit? Yes like it's it's ridiculous we're we're like we're 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 nearly a trillion dollar in debt but you know whatever let's let's forget about the debt for example because the country has always had debt but the point is that as long as you as long as you're not running deficits and paying uh the uh, service to the debt i mean to some extent it's fine you know you're slowly paying it off but running a deficit i mean how long do you think it'll be sustainable for for canada to maintain their their credit rate with uh, with an accumulation of uh, of deficits like this like at some point aren't they going to hit a wall uh, i mean listen we don't know what's going to happen to oil
1: we're not sure if immigration is going to continue more people are going to come we're not sure if uh, you know uh, we're going to get foreign money coming in and all these uh, condos being bought for the coming years in the high rises um, i mean they're betting on it I, I mean i'm 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 not a very uh, I'm kind of i am conservative conservative in some ways uh but then I believe you know we're not just uh, digging holes and closing them up just to make people work as long as we're injecting the money uh, in the right way um, I think we should be fine. I think we should be fine because at the end of the day, we're keeping those jobs, and when this is over, if other countries are not going to be able to maintain it we're going to end up getting all the other jobs i mean I'm, i don't want to say we're competing against the others but that's that's today's reality right like uh, edc bdc investissement quebec their whole aim is to create wealth in the country you know uh, their their mission is to make sure that canada exports uh, a quebec export exp, you know that's that's their mission they're not like banks you know the traditional banks are there just to make money so these guys are the, through the government uh, they're just trying to make sure that uh, you know, um, Canadian companies foster. And then uh, I think at this point, we need to we need to do that. Um, again, I say I don't like that people get money sitting at home. Yes, for that period, you know, uh, people who work in restaurants, people weren't going out, so it was the thing to do. But then at the end of the day, we have to encourage people to go, go back to the workplace. I don't know how that's going to happen.
0: Um, it, it's very tricky. I think, you know, this whole pandemic uh, brought us into this um uh, uh, into the into this situation where obviously it's unprecedented uh, you want things to to work as they were before you want that normalcy to come back but at the same time you're concerned on what kind of health impacts that will have on the population right uh the re- obviously i have a lot of restaurateur friends they've taken a huge hit a lot of them have closed and you know and you time. have you know you have the city of montreal saying oh come on guys come back downtown doing all these things to to uh to draw attention back to downtown but at the same time you have all these measures that have to be respected i i don't go out why why the hell would i go out why would i put Listen, my family
1: at risk we we don't either um i mean we we i've never been to a restaurant i mean other than takeouts and uh, i've never been to a restaurant since the pandemic i haven't sat in a restaurant yeah. I will go maybe in a, uh, in a month because we're we're invited to this uh, engagement party. But that, yeah. that's it. It's gonna be our first outing as a couple. Yeah. Uh, you know, we go to friends. We sit in the backyards. We, you know, it's a circle that you know moves around that we keep it tight. Uh, but listen, Montreal is gonna be a big issue. You know, I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, being the mayor of montreal it's not an easy job you know it's not uh it's not uh, smiles and uh, you know it's a tough job and uh takes it takes now i yeah, i'm i'm being biased here but it, it takes a there and, and a team like that to you know uh, you know it george i mean let me tell you something i i, I i'm a guy who respects a lot politicians. I have a huge respect for politicians, especially politicians in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not talking about Lebanon because the these people are corrupt. They're only about their money. You know, my wife worked for uh, two very important, I, I was at the number two and number three of uh, Montreal. So she, she was the uh, political uh, attache of uh, Pierre de Rocher and then uh, Haruchi Yeah, oh. And these people, I, I knew through my wife, they used to work, man. The, Doni Coder and, and, and his team used to work a lot. I'm not saying working is enough, but they were competent, mm-hmm. you know. And then um, they had this big dream for Montreal. Uh, they did well. Um, it was easier back then, I agree. But then. Right now, I'm not sure where, where Montreal is going. I don't think anybody and,
0: knows where they're going. Uh, I I mean, look, I live in the South Shore, right? So I, I I try not to come into Montreal, not because I don't want to, because I get frustrated every time I drive into Montreal. And, you know, I've had a couple of municipal uh, uh, elected officials on, on the podcast, and there's never a clear answer on what's happening, right, depending on where they are on the spectrum. Uh and that's standard, right? You're gonna have a politician, they're gonna play the cards, uh, you know, they're gonna play their, their 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 party lines. It's it's disgusting, man, what's happening, especially downtown. There is no downtown, it's dead. Like I mean, St. Catherine has been closed for two years now. Uh and you know, you have a mayor saying, Look, come downtown. Where? How am I gonna come downtown? Where George, park my car. Mm-hmm. I have two kids. I'm gonna go uh, exactly down. listen once uh
1: Maybe if it was two years ago, so we were like, you know, maybe four or five couples want to go out. We ended up going to Laval. And I said, <laughs> You guys realize we all live in Montreal. We all are Montrealers. But where do we go? Centropolis. Yeah. It's it's so convenient, so easy and uh it's our reality, right? I mean, at, at, I'm not saying I'm old, but at a certain age, you don't want to... I'm tired
0: of running and looking for a parking yeah. spot. I just want to go and park. And you have the kids winding in the car. They're tired. You know, a couple... Uh, before the pandemic, I think it was right before Christmas, I think probably November or something like that. My wife, she's like, let's drive... Uh, let's go to the Eaton Center downtown. Like, right away, when I hear downtown and the car, I, I get this rash. You know, I'm like, oh, man, do I have to? I'm like, she's like, you know, it's going to be fun. We're going to take the kids, too. I'm like, you know what? Okay, let's go. We leave. <laughs> and I live in the South Shore, man. I mean, The minute I cross the bridge, I'm downtown. I'm right there. So it took, like, whatever, 10 minutes, crossed into the city. I was going around looking for parking for maybe half an hour. At the end of the day, I told my wife, look, we're going back home. Forget it. We turn around. There's no parking. I'm not going to carry kids now for, from one end of the downtown to walk into the Eaton Center. Forget it. We turned around We went to discount And this is the thing that I believe, you know, the Montreal officials haven't understood. I agree with, you know, the whole green thing and, you know, the bike paths and – but do we really have that infrastructure in Montreal to close all these streets and turn them into bike paths? I, I disagree, right? No. I mean, you have – you have your downtown core it's it's the heart of the province i mean this is this is where everything is what yeah. are you doing i just don't understand i don't get it i don't know anyway I'm i listen one i'm not the only one everyone uh tourism is dead i mean they come here remember last year this whole thing about kevin hart in montreal taking a picture next to a cone <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> the guy became a meme. You know, the guy took a picture, and you know, instead of saying, "Oh, Kevin Hart is in Montreal," look, Kevin Hart is stuck in traffic, or Kevin Hart is stuck in construction, or whatever. This is what we've become. You know, it's unfortunate, and and to some extent, I got to give credit to Denis there because I remember towards the end of his mandate, he came out and said, "Listen, we have work to do that is probably going to last about twenty to twenty-five years." I mean, the guy laid it on the table. He's like, "Look, this is the reality." Uh, don't, um, you know, don't, uh, don't create a curtain. Uh, I mean, you know, Valerie Plante was getting elected. She was saying, we're going to be the administration of mobility. What mobility, man? I'm stuck. Everywhere I go in Montreal, I can't move. I remember that clearly, you know, she was on. Uh, she, they, they, was she, kind of, she never got elected. People
1: didn't vote for Kudair. I mean, that's the reality. I was there. You know, I participated to the elections
0: very hands-on. Uh, and then. What do you think it is? is- what do you think is gonna be? I mean, you you have your ear on the ground over there municipally. Yeah, uh, is could they're gonna make a comeback? Is he you know, What's what's happening in that party?
1: Uh, I don't know. They were looking. Uh, I I heard some rumors from names of uh, circulating that have aspirations from to jump from uh, even. I heard names from provincial to uh, municipal. Former provincial, and some current provincial. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, like I, to- I heard a name like
0: resigning and running in Montreal? Yes, of? yes,
1: yes. That that was the last name I heard. Um but uh nothing more they're looking for uh that that's the last thing I heard. That that they're still looking for somebody to represent them and uh, create a party and uh, and it takes it takes something or, or else we're going to be I mean if there's nobody else running I don't know what's going to happen. I mean we're going to still stay uh, where we are and uh you know it as I said, I have a lot of, a huge respect for politicians because, I mean, you know how hard they work. You know, I, I used to see some people's agendas. I, I I remember, like, one time I wanted to meet, to, to, you know, a meeting with Jean-Marc Fournier. So, I, they were looking, You you realize the guy wakes up at five uh, till six, he reads the news, you know. Yeah, you realize the amount of work people put and, you know, uh, the remuneration is not huge, uh, mind you. I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of people
0: say, oh, they're paid too much. money." Well, no, they're not paid too much money. You know, the responsible, they're, they're not paid too much money. You know. politicians, um, politicians don't make money in Canada in general and especially in Quebec. And, I mean, look, the figures are public, right? Anybody can go check yeah, them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. A, a basic member of the Quebec National Assembly is going to start off at 90 grand, I think. Um, Close. And with the committees and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 120, 130. 120. You have people, man, that are millionaires that leave their career to run for office. Something that I personally never understood. I I, I, I appreciate it, and I think it's uh, it's honorable to do so. Like, look at Morneau.
1: He left his fund. What? Yeah, it, he had a half you know, of a billion dollar fund. I,
0: I've I've been speaking about this poor man, like to all my friends in the last couple of months, where. You're sitting on top of an empire. Your wife's name is Kraft. Like you have everything you want. You have a successful firm. Um, you're among the elite in Canada and you leave that all behind for a title. Because obviously let's let, let, you know, let's not kid ourselves. The guy knew he was becoming finance minister, right? Oh, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was uh but stuck at it do you not understand the pressure that that job brings I, obviously forget about the salary like he doesn't need that okay. salary let's salary. understand oh. that between what more makes and the 150 or 160 grand that he makes as a minister is is peanuts right so it's not about the money compared to, and especially when you look at the agendas like you say like the lifestyle they have they have no life right they don't, no, see no, no, they don't see no. kids. they don't see you know forget about birthdays forget about engagement like forget about that you know you're you're, you're married to your job now right you're living off a suitcase uh and all for what like in this guy's particular case uh it wouldn't surprise me if he resigns because of everything that's been happening now with all these scandalous things that are coming out and maybe he knew maybe he didn't maybe he has you know maybe has no part in them whatever that's you know that's a whole other thing but you're putting your entire life your entire credibility on the line and everything is at stake you know and i and i'm thinking about him because aside you know regardless of the political aspect, there's the human being, right? And to have succeeded so much in your life and for some reason, which is obviously personal, wanting to run for office and ending that political career with such a bad note it is it is gonna be tough. you know it's not good man you know i remember jean Chrétien famously said you know in politics what matters is how you come in and how you come out the middle nobody really cares you know forget about the middle it's how you come in and how you come out and both those things have to be on a high that's the trick in politics right and it's difficult especially today with all the social media uh you're, you're all over the place you have so much accountability uh people like you said do not understand how uh how that uh whole atmosphere works, right? And, and the stress that these people go through. I mean, look at Kader. Kader came out, he did a series of interviews of how his life had hit rock bottom, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, even health wise. And yeah. and he turned it around and good for him. But uh you know it, it, it's easy to criticize a politician to blame and uh to scream and yell, but you know, putting yourself in their shoes is uh, is a whole other story, you know? I mean, absolutely, and
1: not a lot of people are willing to leave the comfort of their life, especially in federal politics. You know, Canada's a big country. You know, it's not like uh, a small country where uh, the parliament and your home is probably an hour and a half away. You know, well, like sometimes mun- people have to travel miles and miles. Yeah,
0: like municipal, you wake up, you drive to city council, and you come by your it's home. It's
1: easy. Yeah, that, that's much easier
0: for a work-life balance. But yeah, imagine so, living in BC and you have to come to Ottawa five exactly. days a week. My exactly. like, It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh,
1: but but we. I think we still have quality politicians. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying most, but you compare to you know, you look at the politicians. You still say we have quality politicians. And I, I really like. Uh, I have like, it's it's a hobby, and I like. I respect a lot of the politicians. You know, uh, even if I don't agree with them, but they're you know, like uh, people like Amir Kader. You know. Like, I respect the guy so much. Although I don't agree, you, there are some politicians that you look at them and you say, wow, this guy, you know, he was a doctor, he left because he believed in the cause. You know, maybe he's making much more money now and uh, is much less hated and is happy walking around with, you know. But then you look at this guy who left everything, had a, you know, he had a cause, he had some beliefs, he thought things, he could change things, create this party or whatever, grow this one and, and, and look where, where they are now. You know, and you look at it and you say, I respect that man a lot, although I don't believe, and, and that's that's where I, I, th- that feeling I'm trying to explain is that that you respect. Uh, you know, I know I know you guys at one point were head to head with American at uh,
0: certain see, issues. I, 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 see, I see what you're saying, and like I would never be able to sit with this guy and have any form of civilized conversation with him. Like, there's no way. Like, there it's like two complete opposite ends. But I understand what you're saying, and yes, look, this is this is the beauty uh, of the of the of the society that we live in. I mean, look, you want to run, run, regardless of what you believe in, as long as you don't pr- uh, promote violence or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, any extremism. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in, you know, in recent years, you know, there, there's been a rise in populism, and to the point where it just nothing makes sense anymore.
1: No, but you agree. I mean, and, and, I, I'm just putting Amir Kader and versus all the new new guys in that party now yeah you or oh, yeah, like no, somebody totally, had a huge respect he totally like
0: alone. he was totally alone i get it yeah i mean gil duceps gil you know
1: I, i'm i'm yeah, yeah. I, you know it's it's completely but you know you respect the guy uh, you know you admire as a person you don't agree with his beliefs so you have this caliber of uh politicians that you know it's good to have them on the other side of the spectrum because at the end of the day you know a, a parliament is gonna have is gonna be multicolored. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that whoever's on the other side of the color is a smart, his heart is at the right place. Yeah. You know, we don't have the truth, there's no absolute truth. So sometimes we need to get their opinions. So you want smart people, even even, even in the opposite side, as, as a citizen. Mm-hmm. If I'm a liberal or a conservative or NDP or whatever I'm I am, I want my quote-unquote opponent. To also have the best of its people representing, because none of these parties hold the truth, and then you're going to make sure that it, they're well criticized. Uh, that sometimes, you know, they they sit on a table, and then you know, there's some type of coalition agreements. Uh, and definitely, when it's a minority government, you you want to have the best of the people around the table.
0: The best thing I ever heard was Jean Charest. Uh... In a, in a closed meeting where he was talking and he was saying you know it, 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 they, were, they were in government right? they were a majority government and um, everybody was mocking the the, the PQ guys and Quebec's so there and the guy gets up and he's like listen I don't know what you want, I don't know what you believe, I don't know what you say, the only thing that you should never do is mock or underestimate your opponents because keep in mind that they're after your job <laughs> you know what I mean they're after your job so forget about that man that, that you know you got to leave that out of the door uh this is a man that i i completely respected and his values and just the way he uh he he saw uh political engagement right uh, just enormous respect for the people that were running under his banner mm-hmm. under his uh his leadership and also the people that were against them uh it, it's crazy right because i mean you have countries in the world where they're, they're at each other's throats You've seen those you've seen those fights in Parliament in India <laughs> and in China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen. No, no. exactly. Anymore.
1: Listen, and um you you look at it now. Let's bring back to some when do you think the elections are gonna happen? It, it would have been it, it would have been happening soon if not Federally. the pandemic. Federally.
0: Yes. This is this is the funny thing. Uh and I actually tweeted about this back in april i was having a conversation with one of my friends and I, and it, and this is for everyone to, to understand how quickly things can shift in politics it's such a such a um uh, a a, a never changing environment right mm-hmm. uh this is back in april my friend is like really conservative hates the liberals hates justin trudeau and uh, and i was telling him and, and very often i like to kind of bug him right and i'm like listen man if i were working in justin's cabinet the first thing that I'd be thinking about right now is launching a campaign in uh, in the fall. I mean, it would be my... The the numbers were spectacular. They had Absolutely. managed the pandemic, you know, relatively well. Uh, you know, the conservatives have no leader They're You know, just mathematically, you know, their leader comes in at the end of August. So you drop the hammer in September. You, you, you catch them off guard. It was like in my head, I'm explaining to and them. And the NDP doesn't have cash. Yeah, they, they, Yeah, everybody, everyone is paralyzed and and in my head it's like this awesome strategy you know that is that is unfolding i'm like i'm guarantee, guaranteed there's someone in that in that cabinet that it has suggested or is probably even planning it not 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 two months later <laughs> the complete opposite is happening right it's like forget about an election now i mean how are you going to run an election everyone everyone is attacking you. I mean, what a plunge these guys took within a matter of maybe a month and a half to two months with all these things happening. You know, we charity, uh, you know, his family being involved and uh, it's just, it
1: does it matter, George. Stuff that is does, it ma- th- 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 does it really matter to the common Canadian, the common Canadian? I'm not saying the guy who's reading the news. I'm just saying the family that is, uh,
0: one of them maybe is on getting the two thousand dollars. Maybe you you know, does it really matter at this point? You're look, yeah. this is the thing. Your everyday Canadian has no idea what's happening. I mean, you know, and, and this is the difficulty that I have often. Uh, because we see things differently, right? We see things from a different perspective because we know how things kind of work and we're interested and we follow, we read the news and we listen to the radio every day. Uh, Your average Canadian has no clue who the prime minister is probably, maybe not. He's a very popular prime minister, but uh, I don't know, the minister of finance or, you know, your average person, and this is not only in Canada, this is anywhere. They're not... They're not aware of what's going on. They're not aware of what platform you have when the campaign comes out. Nobody reads elec- uh, you know, election platforms anymore. Nobody does that. So everyone goes with the trend, right? And this is what Justin Judo has successfully done. He's popular. He's a popular guy. I mean, his team has done a very good job in making him very likable. Because obviously, that's also the person that he is. I know him personally. He's a very charismatic, very yes, lovable person. I assume you know him personally. You- because you guys were in the same writing, yeah, exactly. So when you uh, work together, we work with yeah. Him and we work with his team, and I, I, I know a lot of his entourage. And uh but at the same time, yeah, I, I can't really blame the conservatives for for banging out all these things. I mean, they're obviously doing their job. And they are to some extent. Whether you like Justin or not, whether you're liberal or not, you're gonna start asking questions. I mean, forget about the management for the pandemic. We all agree that they did what they had to do, and good for you. But um, taking advantage of this pandemic to hand out, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to 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 these organizations or to these companies that have been backed by your ministers or like it's all these weird things that raise so much suspicion and so many questions. Um, is it enough?
1: Is it enough to make Justin Trudeau fall? I don't think so. At this point, if tomorrow there are elections. Who's going to care that
0: Margaret Trudeau made
1: $320,000 know, of funds? Personally,
0: my personal opinion is that I don't care. She's a private individual, and, and I've even said on this podcast, she can do whatever she wants. I have absolutely no problem that his mother and his brother got paid for whatever speaking – I don't care. I don't care. I, I see the conflict of interest, but I, I,
1: I'm saying the voter. Yeah. The voter is going to say. Well, it depends. How many – are, are, are we lucky to be in Canada during the pandemic? For sure, 100%. Well, we're extremely lucky, right? Mm-hmm. And most Canadians feel extremely lucky that they are in Canada during this pandemic. Yeah, but and that would be, but that would be the link with Justin Trudeau. There's a link between that, and people are going to vote. I think if there's an election today, and even if Peter McKay is going to be the, you know, and he seems to be he seems to be leading in everything right uh, especially uh, how much money how much money he raised i think it twice or more i'm than, hearing oh, that
0: tw- i'm hearing that erno tool is in the in the lead but anyway we'll see it, in, 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 but,
1: oh i i just checked how, who's raising how much so i, I saw that uh, anyway um i think there there's not enough of negative stuff especially that people don't care if the government's borrowing for the future of their grandkids. Nobody's doing the math. How am I going to pay for that? You know, it's not your, it's not your credit card. You don't care. And you know what? And right now there's not a budget to balance. We could still borrow, you know, if in two years or a year and a half, then you're going to say, okay, uh, you know, even the, even the liberal government is going to say, we have to go back to reducing our well, they uh, said deficit, They
0: said they were going to uh, do that by 2015, which they didn't. Uh, 2019 sorry okay uh, which they which they obviously didn't but it's it, it, what you're saying is true and it's all about perception right uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time it comes down to strategy and where it counts the most is Ontario and Quebec uh, and uh, if the conservatives pick it up in Quebec and you know how judgmental we are in Quebec right uh, I mean it, it could work I mean I understand that people probably don't care or don't uh, uh, you know, don't look at these things, or maybe don't even know about them or hear about them. Uh, but the one... but who's gonna take? You think the the conservatives are gonna get, or the, 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 the
1: block is gonna go higher, or the NDP? I know I... the NDP? Not the NDP, not the NDP, not the NDP. But
0: I have a feeling the block is gonna bring up their their vote in Quebec.
1: Yes. Um,
0: I, I don't know if the conservatives are gonna make any gains. Um. I don't know, but the block man, you know, Yves-François Blanchet is an exceptional person, and I got to know yes. from the time that he was in Quebec City. He did well, man. He did well yeah. in the last campaign. He's yeah. an eloquent man, uh, very uh, charismatic. Super talented, and uh, look, the, the truth is that he's the one that holds the balance of power in Ottawa. He can, mm-hmm. he, can he can make this government fall anytime he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but across, I mean, look at, look, you look at the numbers, right? You look at the polls and in April, Justin was just pff, way ahead of everyone because, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the, in, in situations of crisis, people are always going to look up to the government, right? So that's where he was doing well. You look at it now, uh, some polls have him neck and neck with, uh, with, uh, with the conservatives and they don't even have a leader yet. So it's, it, I, I, you know, I thought that for sure, September, October, we're going into an election. I'm not so sure he's gonna he's gonna do that now.
1: Hey, can we hold an election? You think? Why not? Yeah. What
0: pandemic? You mean? Yeah. They're, they're they're doing it in the states. I don't know how they're doing it, but Donald Trump doesn't seem to want to accept the the voter uh, the voting mail. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Uh, it would be a, it would. Be I mean, a-
1: it's not going to be that difficult if they're going to make. Two meters and one and one. Anyway, it's not a social event. It's just you get in, you vote, yeah, you get out. So at
0: the end of the day, I mean, you can extend the the hours. You know, usually the the polls usually close like at eight p.m. or whatever. You can have it. I don't know, twenty four hours. You know, to just to allow people to 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 have the time to go vote uh, with all the social distancing measures and all that stuff. I think everything is possible. I just don't think based on their performance the last two months and everything that has come out. And man, you got to give it to the conservatives. They're they're doing their job phenomenally well. I mean, every single day, every every week, there's something. Yesterday, I was reading with this um, Stephen Gilbo that he was being paid as because there's this firm, uh, this investment firm that he's that he was consulting with, and he paid. uh, He was continued being paid as a consultant and that firm received, I don't know how many millions of dollars from the government of Canada. Like there's all wow. these things. No, I didn't hear that. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I think it came out yesterday before yesterday. This is what bothers me. It's like, you have a clear situation Confl- of conflict of interest. And I mean, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, and the, the other thing about, um, uh, what's her name? The chief of staff, um, uh, I forget her name. Um, Justin's chief of staff. Um, God damn, I forget her name. Anyways, uh her husband was involved. Uh, I don't know if you read this. He was a, he was in or, in a, in, a, in, a, in an organization that manages um uh mortgages, I think. And they got eighty million dollars from the government to manage uh something, some part of the CMHC. That okay. Okay. And uh, her husband is is a VP, and it's like, come on, man! Like, what the hell's going on over here? You know, and she's like Katie Telford—that's her name—and she's like, no, no, no. From the very beginning, when he uh, when he got that job, I, uh, I, uh, uh, I I I took a distance. I I, I put a whatever you call a uh, something, you know, a, a blind on the email so that she doesn't see what's going on. But at the end of the day, are you seriously telling me that? No one at the prime minister's office, no one in the cabinet, uh, no, in in, um, in, the, in the ministerial cabinet to know who your husband is and what he does and who he represents. I mean, even if you had absolutely no part in any of this stuff, you know, you had nothing to do with any of the negotiations, you had no communications with anyone whatsoever regarding this issue, everyone still knows who your husband is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... And these are the things that the concern. I don't know where they're digging this thing up, man, you know, but I'm telling you, every week there's something new. I mean, obviously the We Foundation hurt them. It hurt them bad. And I don't think they're out of the woods yet. Uh, We'll see. I mean, at this point, I mean, I'm speechless. There's nothing really to say. Like every single week there's something that comes up as if it's some orchestrated thing. They've been holding on to these things, you know? Uh, So you you, you think that it's...
1: uh... It's being leaked in a timely manner to the media strategically. Oh,
0: for sure, for sure. Timely, okay. So it's it's. Sure. I I think what they did, the the. I think what the the conservatives did, they took all the all the measures that the government announced. The you know the special measures that they put in place for the pandemic. All the fun mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they're going at. And they just had the research department working overtime. Where is this money going? Who's in charge? Find out if there's any links to them, blah, blah, blah. And look, they're coming out with all these things. You know, the, 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 they're going to go back in, uh, in, in September now, the, the, the new parliament session. It's going to be very interesting. Everyone is speculating on a vote of confidence. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's going to be very interesting come September. It's time
1: for change, I guess.
0: I don't know. Is it? Is That's it? how people, uh, I don't know. listen. Uh, at, at, at the end of the day, it, it comes back to what we're saying. You know how many people were shocked that Justin, from my, uh, you know, for my entourage, they were shocked that Justin won in 2019. They're like, what the hell happened? How could this guy win? Can't they see, you know, the, the he he promised to, to balance the books. We're in $80 billion of deficit. What the hell? Are people blind? I'm like, listen, guys, it really doesn't. I had I had the exact same arguments that you had, that you have now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is perception. What matters is how beautiful he is and how lovable he is and how charismatic he is and, uh, you know, the, the, the large crowds. And it, it's all about image, man, in politics sometimes, you know. And the, the content, yes, it's there, but very few people actually pay attention to it. And I got to understand that from our elections. I mean, I, I was involved for, for whatever, over 11 years. You know, we had how many campaigns? 2007, 2008, 12, 14, and eight. Five campaigns, man. You know how many people actually spoke to me about our platform? Minimal. <laughs>
1: Minimal. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. You just have to have it so that the media reads it, they
0: I argue know. it, and then that's it. The people... I can I can tell you, Varen, I can tell you honestly that while campaigning... Because, you know, our, our writing was unique, right? It's Park X and Villary. But I can tell you, in Park Extension, very rarely did we even talk about platform. Because nobody knows. So it was just very, you know, human interactions. Uh, like, that was our campaign, you know? Uh, <laughs> villery different different story. There we had to do our homework, you know, because people are much more aware. They follow. But Park X, nobody, <laughs> nobody knew. They just like you. Yeah. But, or they hate you, whatever. But yeah. Uh, and I assume it's the same thing in other writings as well. I mean, I'm not, you know, we're not putting, you know, I'm not secluding just that one writing, but it's the same thing everywhere. Uh, and it's, it's the reality and I've accepted it, you know, and, and I know it doesn't make sense to certain people that aren't, you know, kind of more involved in politics like we are where they just don't understand because they follow the news. They read, they look at the numbers and they're like, how the hell is this guy winning? <laughs> and I'm like, because it doesn't matter. You know, the stuff that you're looking at doesn't matter. I don't know man. Uh let's end this man. Um, what are you guys working on right now? Uh what is the the Armenian National uh Council doing and uh, what are you focusing on? Well,
1: uh as we speak it's the 100th anniversary of uh the Treaty of Sèvres, so we've been uh, posting some videos and etc uh, et cetera, uh but the next step is just to getting ready for the next elections, uh, keeping an eye uh, on, uh, on what's happening in Armenia. Uh, Lebanon is a focus as well. You know, we, uh, as soon as uh, the pandemic broke, we, we sent in a letter to uh, J- Justin Jokic. Uh, don't forget uh, where it got hit. It's uh, densely populated. The, the Armenian sector, the Armen- Armenians live across the port, so uh, we've been very much affected, and uh, so we're, we're just trying to uh, do fundraisings. Just last month, we did a fundraising. Uh, the community did a fundraising. Over two hundred thousand was sent to Lebanon because of the financial and pandemic crisis. And now this, so there's other, uh, obviously fundraisings happening to uh, come to solidarity with, uh, with the with Armenians in Lebanon. Uh, Just uh, hoping that that there's no escalation at the border. And then, uh, you know, we're going to see how uh, as Canadian, uh, I mean, Canadians, we're going to weather the storm. Our community centers, our schools are definitely like every other organization or business going through its challenges in terms of fundraising, money coming in. So we're going to see how that's going to reflect our community and uh, its resources. So we're definitely going to. See if uh, there's anything the committee could do, Good. and then that, that that
0: that's about it. Uh. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Um, I know that you're uh, probably away from your family. <laughs> I don't want to keep you much longer. Uh, hopefully, when all this craziness uh, goes away and we return back to some sort of normalcy, we yeah. can uh, grab a coffee or lunch or whatever, man. Just to, to see each other again.
1: Absolutely. So thank you for having me, George.
0: I appreciate Uh, your time, buddy. Keep on doing it. Thank you, sir. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Ciao. Ciao.